The explosiveness of ski jumping, with skiers launching off a towering scaffold and soaring like a bird through the air. The aerobic energy of cross-country skiing, with athletes powering up steep hills, then accelerating on thin edge down sweeping turns in a head-to-head -head battle to the finish line. This is Ticket to Fly, the USA Nordic Podcast. Each episode of Ticket to Fly will take you inside the international world of ski jumping and Nordic Combine, bringing you into the start house and up close with the stars of the sport. Join me now in welcoming your host for Ticket to Fly, veteran Nordic commentator, Peter Graves. Thanks, Tom Kelly, and welcome to Ticket to Fly. I'm your host, Peter Graves. This is the podcast of USA Nordic. And today we'll talk to one of our own, Jed Hinckley, who has been with the organization for quite some time. And in June of this year, about a month ago, he was named sport director for the organization. And Jed, uh, it's very nice to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be with you, Peter. So, Jed, we've we I've got a lot of questions I wanted to ask you, but uh, I, I wanted to begin sort of at the beginning. And uh, I have known your family quite well uh, for many, many years. Uh, your dad and uh, your uncle uh, were skiers at Fort Lewis College, where I went in Durango, Colorado. And um, so I've known the Hinkley work ethic and... Uh, intelligence and curiousness about things, um, which uh, always suited them very, very well. So you grew up in Andover, New Hampshire. It's the home of Proctor Academy. Um, and I, I'm sort of curious when you got on skis, you were a Nordic combined skier, cross country and jumping. Uh, how did it work out for you to get started in the sport, even at a very basic level? You know, I think I've, much like many people, I, I believe I actually started downhill skiing or alpine skiing, uh, probably around the age of two or three. Um, during that time, we had actually moved away from Proctor for a couple of years. I think my first skiing was actually at a Scutney in Vermont, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but then shortly thereafter, probably four or five, I started cross-country skiing um, in Andover and then started uh, ski jumping at the age of six. I had gotten into jumping because um, my dad had been a four event skier growing up, mainly a, a downhill skier, um, but also skied cross country and jumped a little bit. Um, and we were lucky enough in Andover to have the, the ski jumps over at what we used to call the Blackwater Ski Area, and now it's the Proctor Ski Area. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how it, how it transpired, but uh, my dad kind of said, hey, you want to try ski jumping? And my mom, um, sort of the same, you know, being a skier as well. Um, and so I gave it a go and uh, absolutely loved it. And so since I was already a cross-country skier, um, started doing Nordic Combine and then continued racing Alpine until I was about 13. So I was doing all ski events until I was about 13. And did you, uh, I'm guessing, although I don't know the answer to this, but I'm guessing you probably worked under uh, Tim Norris. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. So um, Tim was my first ski jumping coach. I believe Tim started coaching ski jumping in 1969 um, at Proctor. 
And then I think he actually formed the Andover Outing Club. I, I've actually talked to Tim about this over over dinner uh, in not too distant past. I believe he started the Andover Outing Club in 1974. Um, and then I came along in the mid-80s. Um, so, yeah, so Tim was my coach from uh, from beginning right up until basically, you know, in the east. A lot of times you start training in Lake Placid um, sort of in your early teens, you know, late 12, 13. Um, and so I would go up there and train with Chris Hastings. But then when I came home, Tim would still be my coach. And I did jump for Proctor Academy throughout high school. Uh, so jumped, you know, in uh, in high school meets and at NEPSACs, even while I was on the national team. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And Tim, to my mind, you know, was a, a masterful coach. And um, here he developed a number of Olympic athletes. Yep. Um, and uh, so uh, my guess is you had a, a very uh, good foundation in um, fundamentals and and just really good coaching. Yeah. So, you know, I actually like to use Tim as a great example, or I think he's a great example and like to use him uh, when I talk to groups of people, because um, it, it's my understanding that Tim came to Proctor mainly as a cross-country skier or, or having cross-country skied mainly. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was high school ski jumping. And so the headmaster at the time, I actually think it was before David Fowler, um, but the headmaster at the time was like, hey, we need a ski jumping coach. You're going to be a ski jumping coach. And Tim was like, I'm going to be a what? Um, and, uh, he kind of said, well, yeah, I ski jumped, but I wasn't very good. And I really don't know a whole lot about ski jumping. And, and, and they just said, no, you can figure it out. Um, and of course then, you know, Tim ended up coaching from 1969 until, uh, 2016 or 17. Yeah. Very recently. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I was able to emcee a, a wonderful recognition party for him over at Eastman. Yep. It was really, it was really great. And, the turnout was incredible. The place yeah. was packed. Many Olympians were there. And and uh, you were at Proctor the same time other uh, Nordic combined skiers were percolating, right? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, so so I guess, you know, Tim not having a whole lot of base coached ski jumping for nearly 50 years. And so I think, you know, you don't have to be have been an amazing ski jumper to be an amazing ski jumping coach because uh, you know, he is one of my favorite coaches and human beings as well. Um, but coming out of our program at the time, I mean, you know, a lot of things like this are kind of cyclical, but, um, you know, some people don't know, but Chris Freeman, you know, probably one of the best Nordic skiers we've ever had. Cross country skiers started as a, a Nordic combined skier and skied up until Nordic combined up until the age of 15. Um, his brother, Justin Freeman, who also is a Olympian in, in Nordic skiing, which some people forget that, uh, was there jumping with us. Um, and then myself, Carl Van Loan, um, and then behind us a, a number of years was uh, was Nick Farrell um, and Chris Lamb, who were both either Olympians or longtime national members on the ski jumping side. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it just happened that you know through Tim's uh, guidance, we we produced a number of athletes in that era. Um, I actually think in in 2003, I think Andover Outing Club was the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the the best represented uh, club on the 2003 World Championship team. Um, for for ski jumping, Nordic combined, and and cross country, there's still a lot to get to, uh, and uh, really want to talk to you about your job coming up. But I I want to stay th- with this for uh, just another moment or so, um, and and ask you the lessons that you learned there and throughout your athletic career. Uh, how do they come to bear in how you 
how you did your job as a development director and how you're going to do the job now as a sport director. What were maybe the key lessons learned? Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. And we, you know, I think we we work on ski jumping because we love the sport, but we also think that it is a great vehicle um, to uh, to instill uh, values that we think kind of go beyond just a ski jump. Um, so certainly I would say I have a, a, a bit di- different perspective um, coming from a small club, you know, Andover Outing Club was, you know, mostly volunteer based um, and we were usually pretty small. Um, so I think in my, in my previous role, it was an understanding of like kind of what it takes to, to run a small ski jumping club and the amount of work that you have to put into hill prep to, um, you know, uh, getting athletes to events and, um, and, and just making it fun. I mean, that thing about Tim is that he made it fun. So I think that, you know, he, he didn't get paid to, or he certainly didn't get paid much and nothing from the end of routing club. I don't think to, to be a ski jumping coach. So I would say, uh, you know, one of the things that it, it definitely taught me was, um, you know, you do stuff because you're passionate about it. You do stuff because you love it. You do stuff it's the, because it's the right thing to do. And, um, you know, being outdoors, um, skiing on snow is something that I think every kid should have the opportunity to do. So I would say just from a sort of, uh, um, um, health and, and mental and physical well-being. certainly ski jumping and, and cross country skiing, you know, Nordic combined, um, gave me a great, great appreciation for, for being outside in the winter. Um, and then I would also say that, you know, certainly having to jump off a ski jump, um, um, gives you some courage and some ability to overcome barriers and obstacles um, that go beyond just the ski jump. Um, you know, the, the amount of training and time you have to put into it certainly taught me a lot of hard work. Um, and then on the cross-country side, just the, the determination and the, the willingness, willingness to sort of put it all out on the line and, and give it all you got, um, I would say, are, are things that, that certainly I think of that I take away from the sport. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I think about from having spent a lifetime in, in Nordic sports as well, um, the the volunteer effort in jumping. Yep. And not to say that we don't have a lot of volunteer effort in cross country, but the volunteer effort for jumping is extraordinary. Um, and and I, I think there's an art that comes from working uh, with volunteers of of both kindness, understanding, and deep appreciation, that we could not have ski jumping in this country without the benefit of a tremendous volunteer base. Yep. So you know, depending on how you count them, um, we have about you know between twenty eight and thirty ski jumping clubs in the United States, from Alaska to um, you know New Hampshire, Connecticut. Um, and then, you know, obviously quite a few in the Midwest, um, and then Colorado and Utah, and hopefully coming back in Maine. Um, and, you know, of those 28, I would say about, um, 24 of them are run on a var or largely volunteer base. You know, there, there might be a, a part-time paid position here and there. Um, certainly, you know, our larger clubs do pay coaches and it's becoming more common to pay coaches. Um, but the vast majority of our clubs um, are are completely run by by parents, by volunteers, by former jumpers, um, and by people who just have a passion for the sport. So um, you know, it, it gives you an, a great appreciation for sort of the, especially on a ski jump, the man hours it takes to 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 get a hill ready and to pull off an event. And and you're 100 percent right that um, you know 
we wouldn't have our sport in this country without without that base. I also think that you know that's something that I want to always try to keep in mind is that um, I do believe that we need to move in a more professional direction, and I do like to see more coaches paid so that we can just kind of have it be more of a profession that people can pursue. But I never want to forget those those small clubs, and I always want to try to support um, you know our existing clubs that are, that are doing so much to keep the sport going and to actually grow the sport. Well, thank you for that. We're talking to Jed Hinckley, the sport director of USA Nordic. This is Ticket to Fly, and I'm Peter Graves. So, Jed, let's. Uh, you were on, uh, I think, four World Junior teams, and anybody that makes a World Junior team is clearly then thinking about the Olympic Games and World Cups and all that. And to that, you were a 2002 Olympian in Salt Lake City and a member of the uh, – 2003 world championship uh, team. What did you learn about competing at the highest level of the sport? Yeah, you know, I was, um, so, so you say, you know, you list those accomplishments and I guess, uh, you know, I'm certainly proud of those accomplishments, but I would say uh, within my sport, I was maybe a bit more of a, of a journeyman. Um, You know, I I spent, uh, I spent the majority of my career on what we now call Continental Cup, um, but what at the time we called World Cup B. You know, I did ski in a handful of, of World Cups here and there. I uh, did make an Olympic team. Um, was able to ski in the 2003 World Championships when Johnny won when Johnny won the gold medal. Um, but I, I guess um, what I would say is that um, much of of what competing at the highest level taught me is um, one that the highest level is is tough. You know, there's, there's only a handful of athletes that, uh, that, you know, succeed sort of in the world championship Olympic and world cup and world cup stage. And, um, and that level is super, super high. I would also say that it taught me about, um, about really learning how I work best as an athlete. And yeah, there were, there were certainly plenty of, uh, of dis- disappointing performances, I guess you could say. And I would say that much of my athletic career, I was a bit frustrated um, with sort of my performance. But I think that one thing I took away is that I think that does help me give me some perspective on on what a lot of other athletes are going through um, and, and sort of struggles that, that a lot of athletes have um, trying to make it, you know, pursue their dreams and perform and compete at the at the highest level. Um, sort of, I guess, ironically, some of my best performances actually, or one of my best performances and a couple of others would be at sort of the elite level events. And I think, you know, world championships, I think I finished 25th and then we got fifth in the team event and then junior world championships. Um, we did win, win a gold medal in, in the team event. And I placed uh, actually eighth in the individual event at my best world juniors. And I think one of the reasons that is, is that um, when I got to those higher level events, I actually uh, didn't put as much pressure on myself because I was just kind of happy to have gotten there and sort of didn't maybe expect to be on a team. And there weren't a whole lot of expectations for me, um, maybe from other people, but when it was, you know, at a world cup, uh, level or a continental cup or world cup B level, I had higher expectations for myself. And sometimes, um, you know, if you know anything about ski jumping, uh, if you put too much pressure on yourself, it doesn't always go as you plan. So it certainly taught me that, you know, I performed my best when I just relaxed and, um, and was able to sort of uh, not put too high expectations on myself, you know, set high goals, but, but at the same time, like not put too much pressure on myself. 
Yeah, well, I mean, to me, that sounds like a very humanistic attitude, and um, and I think that's a very important part of sports at every level. And we'll get a little bit back to that uh, thought in just a, a couple of minutes when we talk about the now and your job at the moment. But you were there during this formative years, this nucleus of guys, uh, Billy, Todd, uh, uh, Johnny, and others, those early World Cups at Steamboat that um, were so helpful, I think, in helping us make a big jump. But what a, I mean, you must be filled with memories of a very special moment in time. Yeah, I was sort of on the uh, on the younger end of that era, you know, coming in, um, you know, Todd, I think is about five or six, Todd Lodwick is about five or six years older than me. Um, you know, before him was was Dave Jarrett and Tim Tatro, um, but they were on the team, you know, Ryan Heckman, those guys coming up. And that was sort of, you know, certainly those guys sort of started this resurgence in Nordic Combined um, in success in the United States. And so I was, a, you know, I'm a, I'm a year or two younger than Bill and Johnny and Carl. Um, so I was sort of the young guy coming in, and I can certainly remember those first World Cups in Steamboat. I think the one where Todd won, I was not there. I was still too young for that. Because I think he was, I want to say, 17 or 18 when, when he won. Um, but I do remember even four jumping those years when it was sort of coming into its own in, in the mid to late 90s. And the, the atmosphere and the environment and just sort of the excitement um, from the athletes and from the town and from our sport was, was certainly leaves a lasting memory. And, and I have fond memories of being there and being in that environment. And I was actually just having a conversation um, the other day with actually the Seamless Rings Runner Sports Club with Dave Stewart and Todd Wilson. And, you know, I think that those events, those domestic events are so important to, our, to giving our athletes opportunity because we certainly tend to do well on our, on our home, you know, in, in our home field, on our home jumps. And I think they're also really important, just like myself, you know, for the younger athletes coming up and being able to see the older athletes and see their heroes compete and being part of that environment. But at the same time, you know, they're expensive and it takes a ton of manpower to put them on. So it's weighing, you know, the cost of benefits around like hosting events and finding the means to do it and, and finding the volunteer base, as we just talked about, to, to pull it off. Um, because, and, you know, it takes a lot out of the out of the staff at, at the clubs that host them, too. Um, but I, I think we're, we're really trying to find creative ways and sort of put our heads together on how we can continue to host both Continental Cups um, fist cups and, and potentially world cups in the future. Um, you know, iron mountain on the ski jumping side continues to host a, a great continental cup every year with lots of spectators. And it's a fun event. Um, and, and we're certainly talking about how that could be turned into a world cup. Um, so I do think they are integral to, to, to our sport here in this country, uh, to inspiring the next generation and then also providing opportunities for athletes. Um, but it's, it's certainly not an easy task to, to undertake. No, indeed so. And if you sense, uh, dear ski friends, that uh, Jed has a, a bit of the teacher uh, in him, well, he did uh, teach at public school in Aurora, Colorado, in high school. Uh, and as importantly, uh, went on to get a master's in public health at the University of North Carolina. You worked uh, as a health, uh, healthy food coordinator uh, and... Um, your your understanding and compassion frame some really important qualities to me that you bring in this job. 
And that brings us up now to <clears throat> the um, the years that you worked as the uh, development director. Uh, I believe you took over from Gary Crawford. And um, by all the accounts of people that I talked to, um, and I know you spent a lot of time in the trenches visiting clubs, um, and um, you really did some strong analysis of what clubs need uh, to do uh, to continue to be viable and effective in this modern era. So um, I guess you must have enjoyed that job, Jed. Uh, maybe again, uh, to the teacher aspect, what did you learn about the clubs as you traveled around the country? Because everybody must have some similar problems, some unique problems to them. Yeah, uh, when I took over that role, it was it was certainly very important for me to um, not just be consulting with clubs from from far away and and not having an understanding of what was going on, but really sort of as you said, getting down into the trenches. Um, you know, typically I visited uh, around fifteen clubs per year. I would usually take about eleven to twelve trips um, and spend a lot of time, you know, talking to coaches, talking to parents, talking to athletes. Um, you know, helping out with things, holding holding clinics and so on, but also just listening and hearing hearing what they had to say. And a big piece of my role was also I would do I do an annual survey to find out sort of like how are things going, how's your program growing or not growing, what are your biggest challenges, what are your biggest successes, and um, you know, there are certainly challenges and things that are unique um, unique to each club around the country, but there were also sort of some universal challenges that I heard those being, you know, getting the Hills in shape, um, finding, uh, enough coaches because it isn't really a profession. Um, and then kind of having the money to be able to run quality programs. Um, and I think that there isn't a sort of one size fits all model that's going to work for every club, but it's really just trying to work with each individual club on, on, um, on doing the little tweaks, the little things that you can to, to get more kids to, um, to keep them at the club and to sort of, you know, inch by inch, little bit by little bit, continue to make progress and grow. Um, and we, and we did, we did have some success, you know, not, I would like to see it go, go faster, but we have been able to grow participation in sort of the U, U10, U12, U14, a great deal. Uh, I think 41% under, Sort of in the four years I was in that position at the at the youth competition level, and then each year in the in the sort of upper or not upper, excuse me, on the size of the sport as a whole, we were growing somewhere between five and and eight percent depending on the year. So you know, due to the hard work of of all the volunteers, like we've mentioned, um, and then me just being able to sort of support them and be there to support events and be there to to hold clinics and then just um, you know largely due to them, nothing to do with me, but just sort of help them find the resources they need to, to be able to be successful. So certainly I would say my background in teaching helped. Um, you know, my, at my core, I think I'm sort of a, a guy who likes to work with community and likes to work with people. Um, I enjoy working with all different types of people and uh, just really kind of trying to be creative and, and problem solve because, um, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no blueprint on how to do it, but there are some certain things that, 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 uh, that have tended to work sort of across the country. So Jed, 
kind of where the rubber meets the road, was there one common issue that clubs, more than any other issue, and I suppose money would be one, of course, but you can't give everybody big endowments. But short of that, uh, what what is the one thing the clubs need? Do they need more clinics? Do they need more help with hill design? Or what, what, what did you see out there across the country? Yeah, I mean, you brought it up. You know, we, I think I'm sure there's not a sport out there that isn't going to say we couldn't use more money. Um, and, 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 you know, that's true. And I think, um, you know, funds to pay for things is necessary. But there is stuff that, um, that you know, goes beyond money, certainly. And I would say that one thing that was universal from a from a club perspective is, um, as I think I just mentioned before, keeping the hills in shape. I think you know our 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 volunteer base for clubs is certainly aging and is is aging, and we're sort of relying on the same people um, that were working on the hills when I was an athlete. Um, and you know, the other thing is, is that the standards at which we expect ski jumps to be in is continually going up. So, you know, what was acceptable when, when you were a kid, Peter, um, was probably not acceptable when I was a kid and what was acceptable when I was a kid is not acceptable now in terms of grooming, in terms of, you know, cutting tracks on the in-run, you know, we don't just pack in the in-run with our skis and then set tracks anymore. Uh, we expect the landing hill to be sort of more manicured. In a lot of ways, I think that's really good because, you know, it has improved safety for the athletes and we see less injuries now um, and higher quality of jumping. But I do think it puts a lot of strain on the people that are trying to keep the hills in shape. So certainly one thing we were moving towards and continue to move towards is more, you know, artificial tracks in the winter um, and certainly more mechanized grooming of the landing hill. But I would say that was one universal across across clubs. I think from a sport perspective, the thing that I have seen, and I took a trip to uh, to Slovenia when I was in this job just to kind of see what they were doing and how they were doing it differently. And in a lot of ways, what they were doing was almost exactly the same. It wasn't like they had these immaculate, unbelievable facilities. Actually, their strongest club looked a lot like some of our clubs here in the U.S. in terms of like not everything was perfect. It was kind of I wouldn't say run down, but it had some wear and tear, um, you know, volunteer guy who was doing the hill prep, older gentleman, um, you know, kids looked similar, doing the same kind of things. The thing that, that I have seen across our country that is a big challenge, and unfortunately, to get back to your point, Peter, it's going to take some money, is what Europe and Slovenia in particular has more than us is they have more clubs that have a better progression of hills, you know, being it, it goes from a five to a 10 to a 20 to a 30, you know, with smaller jumps, like, or excuse me, with smaller gaps between the hill sizes. So it's easy for athletes to progress up without being a fearful and be, you know, moving up to a bigger hill with maybe the skills they, without the skills they need. Um, and so they have better, more clubs with better progression of hills from small to big. And the other thing is, is they have those clubs that have, those hills with plastic on them um, where kids can jump consistently during the summer. Um, and that's something certainly in the East that we are lacking. And even in central where we have a lot more clubs with plastic, you know, it's oftentimes just a couple of the jumps. So we don't have a whole lot of those clubs that have plastic on the hills from small all the way up to a 70 or, you know, HS 100 jump. So I think that's a big challenge for us. And unfortunately that's going to take a lot of money to develop that infrastructure. Yeah. You know, we're heading in the right direction in terms of like we continue to upgrade hills and put more plastic on hills, 
but I do think that is one of our challenges. I mean, anybody that's ever gone to Planitza um, and you look at that that marvelous, marvelous setup they have there, um, it, you you see progression in front of your eyes. It's amazing. So let's move on. About a month ago or so, uh, and being a, a, a veteran still of USA Nordic, you were hired as sport director. It is a very big task, and to be sure, it takes you far out of the realm of development director because now you're responsible for a whole lot of things. And you have that intangible that all sport directors have, and that is a mandate to keep working and improving on results. So to begin with, uh, did you have any trepidation about uh, taking this uh, very big, uh, important step up? Yeah, so I would certainly say that um, I did have some intrepidation moving into this position. Um, you know, I had been involved with the organization for four years or so, just under four years. Um, and so I, you know, I would certainly say I had the advantage of having seen, um, you know, kind of how things worked from a from an athletics perspective from the outside. But I certainly tried to as much as I could. And, you know, I'm sure I was guilty at times of overstepping my my bounds, but try to kind of stay in my lane. And, and in my previous role, just so everyone knows, you know, my job was, I would say, basically mostly U14 athletes and below. I did go up to U20 level, but but primarily juniors and didn't have very much to do with with national team athletes other than helping with some equipment ordering and you know coordinating some logistics. But by and large, I I, I was not in the in the national team um, area of the of the organization. Um, so you know I would see little bits and pieces from the outside, um, but wasn't involved. And I knew that uh, there were certainly it would be a big task and a challenge in terms of trying to um, take what a fantastic job all the people that came before me had done and really, you know, trying to take it to the next level in terms of, you know, as an organization, we're, we're just now, you know, depending on when you consider the start, I guess, from Project X to, you know, USA Ski Jumping to USA Nordic and whatever was before Project X or, you know, I've, I've heard different stories about sort of how the, how the organization evolved. But I would say, you know, as we are right now, about 10 years old, and I think what has been done by the people before me in 10 years is, is pretty, is pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Um, and I think that, but I also, I, I guess I also know that we, we've reached a point at which we want to kind of take the next step in terms of performance on an international stage and really become sort of more solidly in, you know, the, the, the top ranks at, at all levels. And, and I understood, or I understand that, you know, that's not just going to happen overnight, but there's going to have to be some very intentional, um, intentional work done to, to get us there. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure, um, that, that, um, that was my area of strength. I mean, as you mentioned, I'm, I tend to be more of sort of a, um, uh, community based, uh, I guess, teacher, you could say, and this is certainly more of a, um, uh, administrative sort of director position in terms of overseeing and managing staff and really having to sometimes make some, some harder decisions as opposed to, you know, facilitating volunteers to do stuff. This is, this is saying, yes, we're going to do this. No, we're going to not going to do that. And sort of the buck stops with me. Um, but I also felt like I had some qualities and just some institutional knowledge that would lend themselves well, um, towards this position. And I, and I, I kind of, um, you know, talked to Bill a little bit about it and said, you know, 
I'd like to throw my hat in the ring and, and, and see if I have what it takes, I guess. So uh, you, you came in, my guess is you didn't come in with preconceived notions cause you're an open-minded guy, but, but one month into the job and that isn't very much time. Um, how are you formulating things, Jed? What are you seeing out there? What do we need to do to improve? Yeah, I uh, I also, you know, as I took this position, sort of uh, <laughs> moved into it in mid-May, where I think we were all sort of still hopeful that uh, that COVID and you know coronavirus would would come and go, and clearly it has not come and gone, and it's here to stay. And I kind of sometimes I'm like, oh man, I didn't really think about having to deal with all this as I <laughs> was taking this position. Um, so when I came into the role, um, we had just done a survey, uh, or I guess our board and some other staff had just done a survey of, um, of our, of uh, all of our athletes and our staff. And it was pretty extensive, long, long survey about sort of a needs assessment of where we're at and in areas where we're lacking and where we need to go. So I certainly spent a lot of time going over responses, both from teams you know, segmenting into teams and then also individual responses. And um, then I also, I, I'm going to call myself out here and say I'm guilty that I have made a goal to reach out to every national team athlete individually to have a conversation. Uh, I'm not quite there yet, um, you know, given that we have a number of athletes on our national team and, and I'm still following up with some, but I've had lots of conversations with, with our national team athletes to kind of talk to them about, well, one, make myself available and understand that, you know, I'm here to support them and making sure that we have a working relationship. And two, just to kind of pick their brains and hear where they're at and how they're feeling about things. And certainly some some themes evolved and some things came out of that survey and talking to people and things that I had seen as well in that there's so many good things going on, you know, from our coaches and from our athletes. But one thing that we need to continue to prove on, improve upon is, is a vision of where we want to go, you know, where we want to be both short-term and long-term that we all buy into. Cause I think we're still a little bit disjointed in terms of where we want to be as an organization, whether, and, and different from team to team and different from coach to coach and maybe different from our admin, administration. I don't think they're far apart, but I don't think we've all totally bought into sort of like, this is what we want USA Nordic to be in five years. And this is where the level, which we want our athletes to be performing at. So that's one. Two, I think, would be, you know, working backwards, I guess this is a teacher in me, uh, a plan to, to get there. You know, if we have a vision, if we have a goal, okay, let's take a, a very sort of uh, analytical approach to, okay, to meet that goal, what do we need to do? And so I would say right now, I'm certainly still gathering information, but I have, I have understood and gotten the feedback from people that, like, we need to have a better plan in place. Um, and, you know, that isn't necessarily universal across all teams and across all individuals. But by and large, from what I've heard is we need to have a clear vision and we need to have a better plan to get there. Because I think we have some phenomenal athletes. You know, we're always going to be challenged by, you know, some of the bigger Nordic countries in the world. But I think we certainly have athletes that can be performing at a higher level than they currently are. And I think some of that just comes down to being very intentional about how we're going about, um, you know, our annual plans and then our day to day plans. And I think lastly, what I would say is so having the vision having the plan. And lastly, I think that we as a country have oftentimes um, not had a belief in our own ability, you know, constantly. And even I just said it, you know, oh, it's so hard for us to compete with, with Norway and with Germany and with Slovenia. 
And I think that we've had this mentality that, you know, we're not as good as those other countries and we are never going to be. I'm not saying that everyone thinks that, but I would say across the board or, or by and large, I think that we need to do a better job at believing in our own capability, believing in our system and believing in each other that we can accomplish more than we currently have. So I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not naive enough to say, Hey, next year we're going to be up there with Norway. Um, you know, they're good at all events in all the events or that, you know, our ski jumping team is going to be as good as the Slovenian men. But I do think that we can perform at a higher level than we have been. And I do think we need to believe that we are going to continue to make progress and continue to, to move up in the ranks until we are one of the countries that's consistently performing, you know, in that top 10, top 15 in the world. Yeah. I'm really encouraged on every level to hear you say that because, uh, this, uh, while uh, many fans can be impatient about winning gold medals at the Olympics, it is a long process. We need to continue to work on developing that base, talent identification, and all the other things we have talked about. But uh, moving in the right direction, keeping your eye on the prize. Another thing I wanted to quickly talk to you about, of course, is uh, the women and their aspect to the program. Of course, ski jumping in the Olympic program, but uh, Nordic Combined as well is making uh, real progress uh, towards being in the Olympic Games yep. for women. So, you know, obviously an area where we are certainly strong with, with Tara um, would be the women's Nordic Combined side. Um, you know, it's obviously a uh, new and growing sport. Um, so every, each year it's good to see it continue to to move forward. Um, and, and obviously Tara has accomplished a great deal um, in sort of a young sport as it is. Um, and we certainly are, are, are proud of her accomplishments and excited to be able to support her moving forward. But we also want to make sure that we're not just saying, oh, you know, Tara is great. We have, you know, the best women's Nordic combined skier in the world and not do anything to support the, the sport from a broader perspective, um, you know, both younger athletes coming up and then also, as you just mentioned, um, pushing towards inclusion in the Olympics. So unfortunately, um, you know, it was not included in the 2022 Olympics, which I was discouraged by, um, but we are optimistic and we are um, certainly advocating for and lobbying for inclusion in the, in the 2026 games. And also, you know, more equity and more um, competitions at the World Cup level. You know, we're excited that it's going to be a world championship sport this year, um, but, you know, it's certainly far less competitions than, than the men's side. And so we want to continue to, to see that move forward in terms of more competitions on the World Cup, more competitions at world championships, uh, more opportunity for these women to, to showcase their skills um, and really, really, really trying to push the sport forward um, both for both for our athletes and for for athletes around the world. Well, thank you, Chad. So we're going to be wrapping it up now, but uh, I will uh, give you a moment if you have any final words for us. No, I just I'm excited you guys are doing this. Uh, I want to thank you for having me on. Um, I'm excited to be in my in my new position. Uh, challenges and all with COVID, and um, you know, I uh, I look forward to to do more of these potentially in the future and look forward to hearing other ones you're going to do with other people. Thanks a lot, Jed. We wish you all the very best. It's been a delight. Our time has flown by. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Peter. All right. That's Jed Hinkley, the sport director of USA Nordic.
as they keep their eye on the prize of international excellence, but without losing sight of the importance of development and general growth of the sport. It's been fun. That'll do it for now for our producer, Tom Kelly. I'm Peter Graves. We'll see you next time with another edition of Ticket to Fly. Ticket to Fly.